Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. All right, well, let's go ahead and dig in. I, I'm really excited about the word tonight. Um, it's actually a word that God gave me years ago, and it's finally just clicked, and I feel like I can preach on it. But uh, God spoke this word to me several years ago. I think it was about four years ago. Um, it was shortly after I married Heather, and I was um, selling my house. And um, when, when, when her and Fisher first moved into my house, my bachelor house, um, she wanted to just redo the whole thing, basically just completely gut it and um, strip it, strip it away. And um, I said, uh, well, maybe we should just buy what you want and, and sell this. And so we did that. But um, God really blessed it. And, and God, I just saw his blessing just on several stages of my life leading up to the sale of this house and the purchase of our um, forever home. If you bought one of those homes with those, you know, 3.0 interest rates, that's your now forever home. You're not going to go get something with an 8% interest rate now or whatever. You know, your, your starter home has become your forever home. Uh, anyways, but when we moved into this home, which is just a, an amazing blessing from the Lord, God just spoke to me this word. He said, this is a momentum of blessing. And I just saw how, how, just, just this, how this, this blessing in my life got bigger and bigger and bigger. But it started off very small. It started off so small, like if I hadn't had been listening to God, it would have just seemed seemed insignificant. So God, God's direction, often he leads you and, and guides you with something very small at first. And then when you, eventually, as you keep following God and keep listening to his voice, his specific direction for, for a, a, a period of time, you, you'll see that there is a momentum of blessing. Say momentum, momentum. of blessing. So this, this is a good word. And um, um, God spoke to me about four years ago, and I'm, I'm finally preaching on it tonight. Um, so I'm really excited to share this. But my first point for you tonight is um, don't despise small beginnings. Um, you know, Job 8, verse 7, there, there's a, a, a scripture of wisdom here. Um, Job is one of the books of wisdom. It says, though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Say increase. And then say abundantly. I like those two words stuck together. You know, to some religious people, to some worldly people, that word increase is offensive, but God sticks abundantly right next to it. What an adjective for increase. And um, uh, just, just knowing God, I know that he loves to take small things and to use them to do great things. And uh, that's why we always need to be listening to God for direction. He often starts with something very small, he leads you to do something very small. He has you do something that might seem small, sends you somewhere that seems small, has you connect with someone who seems small, has you reach out to someone that people just think they're nothing. It's very insignificant, but God likes to use those things. And uh, I, I remember um, about five years ago when I met Heather and Fisher here at church. Um, it was actually on a, a Wednesday night um, Heather was here volunteering, and um, um, I found her to be incredibly attractive, as I still do today. And um, I, I, um, I, I kind of just like decided I wasn't going to worry about finding a wife. Like I'm not going to make it happen in my own strength. But there's a balance of you doing some things, but also a balance of God do doing the majority of things. And um, but anyways, um, we, we went out after church with some other volunteers and some people to um, Chick-fil-A. And at the time, I, I just kind of like 
just um, putting the ball in God's court, just saying, I'm not going to worry about finding a wife. I'm, I'm tired of thinking about it, t- tired of, of just, uh, I'm just going to give it to God. And I decide, like, I'm not going to, you know, um, at the time, you know, as a single pastor, I'd get, like, messages from different girls, like, oh, Pastor Aaron, your message is so great. Like, that's the... And, uh... and it's funny, because after, you know, I met Heather, they all just disappeared. But uh, anyways, I, I went to Chick-fil-A, and, and um, I was talking to Heather and some other people, and um, um, I, I just, just felt like I should buy Fisher an ice cream cone. At Chick-fil-A, it's like $1.49 or something. It wasn't very much. And, um, you know, God used that one little insignificant thing, just buying Fisher an ice cream cone. Um, Heather, Heather um, I guess later that night, she, she thought, you know, being her, you know, good southern-mannered woman that she is, she needed to say thank you. And um, she got on Facebook to send me a message, and, and she decided she wasn't going to do it because it, you know, I don't want this to lead to anything. And she accidentally poked me as she was like debating, or waved, waved. I guess there's a wave. There used to, I don't know if there's still a wave. There's a poke. She waved. She didn't poke me. That would have been too forward, but she, she accidentally hit the wave button or something. And, um, and then she thought, oh man, I waved at him. I better say something now. And she just said, oh, well, thank you for, you know, doing that for Fisher. You know, it was really nice of you. And, um, uh, and it wasn't, I, I knew it wasn't like a flattery type thing, like, oh, Aaron, you're, the, you know, the greatest pastor I've ever met in my life, and uh, so I, I replied, and um, what, what started out as something was very insignificant, me just giving one dollar has turned into me giving much more than one dollar. <laughs> with this ring, I thee wed, and with all of my worldly goods, I thee and thou, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Um, that one dollar of me gifting has turned into much more than that. God likes to use small things and, 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 and put his spirit on it and turn it into something that has abundant increase. You know, I think about my dad um, when he started in the cattle business. He was, I think he was probably still a teenager, maybe 19. 14. Oh, so, four, four, so about 14, but he started with just three cows. And one, one got sick and died. One ran away, and he was just left with one. But um, he, he kept being led by God, and eventually that turned into 3,000 head of cattle. You know, we need to learn to treasure the small things. And I love it when I go to like a restaurant and they have their very first dollar that came into their business, you know, that, that's posted on the wall. You know, we need to learn how to treasure the small things. Recently, um, we were at my parents' house, and we, we, we broke out the old, you know, um, photo albums, the family photo albums. And me being the firstborn, you know, the double portion, the double anointing, the double, you know, there's a lot of treasures of, of Aaron, and there's some of Andrew, the second child, and then Peter, you know, left behind. <laughs> <clears throat> Not as much, but there's, you know, baby Aaron's, you know, first haircut, baby Aaron's, you know, first toothy loss, just all, all these. But we need to learn to treasure the small things because when, when something that might seem small, when it's dedicated and placed in the hands of the Lord, it's no longer small. 
It's no longer insignificant. It's no longer worthless. It's no longer forgotten. It's no longer rejected. It's no longer lacking. When it's placed in the hands of Jesus, something supernatural begins to occur. You know, think about the five loaves and the two fish. Everyone thought that was insignificant, but placed in the hands of Jesus. He blessed it. He thanked the Father for it. And then he broke it. He broke it. And then supernatural, abundant increase began to occur. In the hands of Jesus, when you give what may seem insignificant to Jesus, things that are supernatural, I'm going to use the word exponential. That's not, and it's not a word you see in Scripture, but I believe it is a scriptural word. Exponential growth can occur. What, what, and if um, some of you have a little bit of a math brain, you, you, can, you can track with me. And, and for those of you who don't, just, just you can take a one minute, you know, go to your happy place. <laughs> well, I'll try to explain it as best as I can, especially to math. The Bible doesn't use the word exponential, but the Bible uses the word multiplication. And what is exponential growth means? It, it means something that is multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied again. And all throughout Scripture, I see that God multiplies things and multiplies it again and multiplies it again and multiplies. That's exponential. And in exponential graph, the, the curves go like that because something is being multiplied over and over and over again. So if I were to ask you all tonight this question, would you rather have me give you a million dollars right now and, and that be it, or would you rather have me give you two dollars right now and have that $2 be doubled every day for a month. If that $2 was just multiplied by two, 31 times, what would you rather have? Would you rather have, oh, just give me the million dollars. But if I guaranteed that I gave you $2 and that $2 was multiplied just by two, every day for a month, If you took the $2, by the end of the month, you would have $2,147,483,648. When something is multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, that's called exponential growth. That's, that's a momentum effect, a momentum of blessing. You know, I'm, I'm going to speak to some of you tonight who feel like, like you, you've lost momentum. God, God doesn't stop moving. And even if you, you don't feel it, maybe you haven't seen it, God does not stop moving. He doesn't, he doesn't quit. The God that I see from Genesis to Revelation, he doesn't stop. He never quits, and he's always working on your behalf. He's constantly generating momentum. You know, um, Paul writes this in Philippians 1, verse 6. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Say complete it until the day of Christ. So that means until Jesus comes again, God's not going to stop. All of his promises don't stop. That, that blessing of multiplication, that momentum of blessing does not stop. Let's go to Zechariah 4 really quick. Turn with me to Zechariah 4 and we'll start in verse 1.
I love, I love Zechariah. I was reading through it. I just was getting chills. I actually want to start in verse 11 because this is so cool. Zechariah went straight to the throne room, straight to heaven when he prophesied this. You know, he, he saw the exact same thing that John saw in the, in the Revelation. So Zechariah 4, verse 1, it says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So I answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel has started building the foundations of the temple, but he had given up. He thought, he thought it was a lost cause just because of what was going on around him politically and just what he was facing. He thought, he thought God wasn't working. But this is the word that came to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Says the Lord of hosts. I love that. The Lord of angel armies. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone. That means that the capstone is the top. You, you build everything else, and then you put the capstone on it when you're done with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, for who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These, they are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. The eyes of the Lord are still scanning the whole earth to prove himself strong on, the, on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is still generating that momentum of blessing. He's not done yet. Amen? Let's, let's now go to, um, I want to get to my next point here, Genesis 26. Let's go to Genesis 26. And my point um, now, don't despise small beginnings, but now I want to talk about this. I want to talk about faith to begin, faith to continue, and faith to become. Say faith to begin. Faith to continue and faith to become. Um, just just a, about a month from now, I'll be um, have, I'll be I'll, I'll be a pastor of eight years, which which isn't super long, but in my observance of things, it's actually somewhat long. A lot of people don't have faith to continue. Faith to begin is easy. Faith continue, faith to continue is so important. You know, we need to keep trusting God, keep doing what he has called you to do. Don't give up. Don't give up. So many people just move on too quickly. They, they, they experience some hardships, some difficulty, some, some famine. But if you make it through the famine, you'll make it to the feast. Faith to begin, faith to continue, faith to become. Genesis 26. Verse 1. There was a famine in the land. 
Sometimes, sometimes difficulty occurs early on. Often it occurs early on in someone's journey of faith. This is, we're going to be talking about Isaac. This is early on in Isaac's journey of faith. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Abraham, during famine, went down to Egypt. But God is speaking specifically to Isaac here and says, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this. He's telling him, you stay put. Isaac, your your father went to Egypt. He told, told Pharaoh there that Sarah was his sister. Do whatever you want with her. Isaac did the same thing with the Philistines. Oh, Rebecca is just... My sister, he didn't learn from his father's mistakes, apparently, but God still showed him grace. But God's speaking to him, dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. I will make your descendants multiply. Multiply. As the stars of heaven, I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. At this time, he just had two children, and it took 20 years. 20 years before they had the, you know, um, Jacob and Esau. 20 years. But God said, I'm going to multiply. There's a blessing of multiplication. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt. Say, Isaac dwelt. He stayed in Gerar. He stayed because God told him to stay. Faith to begin, faith to continue, faith to become. And there's a, a, a devastating famine going on. And to the point that he thought about moving, moving completely, leaving where God had told him to stay, where this blessing was supposed to occur. He knew that this was his land. This is where his descendants would be. He was about ready to move to Egypt, but God told him to stay. And not only that, he didn't just stay, but in verse 12, it says he sowed. Skip down to verse 12. He sowed. Why did he sow? Because he was going to stay. Now, we have have a professional farmer up here on the front row, a West Kansas farmer. If you're going to move away, would you sow right before you moved away? Now, if you sow, it's because you plan on staying. He was planning on staying because God told him to stay. That's why he sowed. Even during a famine, he kept sowing because he knew God told him to stay. He was going to stay. If you know someone is going, they will probably stop sowing. There's a lot of, this, this is a prophetic word. This is a word for for ministers. This is a word for relationships. This is a word for where you should go and where you should stay and who you should connect to. If you know someone is going, they will probably stop sowing. If you want to connect with someone who's going to invest in you, 
who see small things in you but see potential there, where they, where they, they are going to help you grow and mature and produce and become what God has called you to be. You need someone who's going to stick around. When I was 18, I, I had to make the, the first big decision of my life. I, I, um, I had applied for different colleges. I wanted to study music. I wanted to study with a great flute instructor. And um, I, I applied to several different places, and it kind of came down between two places. I, I was accepted at CU Boulder with a great flute professor there, and also um, I was accepted with a, a teacher on the East Coast. And um, after I got accepted at Boulder, I was, I was excited because they offered me a full scholarship plus help with room and board. Um, but the, the professor there told me, I'm only going to be here one year. She was from New Zealand originally, but she said, I'm actually going to be moving after a year. I'm going to be, be taking my dream, dream job at the you know, Sydney Conservatory in Australia. Uh, I'll you know, take, take you there with me if you want. But I, I told her, well, I'm also accepted, you know, um, th this flute teacher on the East Coast, you know, wants me to study with her. She, at the time, she taught um, at Juilliard in New York City. She taught um, in Boston at New England Conservatory, and she taught in Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon. And she, she, this, this flute teacher who's going to be moving away just told me, if you can afford to stay with her, just study with her and, and go to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh because that's where she dwells. That's where she lives. And, and I ended up going there, and, um, and you know, during that time, she, she, she saw, even though some people might have seen just an 18-year-old, ruddy-haired, good-looking little flute player, you know, she saw something in me. And she wanted to, to draw it out. She wanted to invest in me. She wanted to, to sew into me. She wanted, she wasn't a believer, but, but, but really God, God had connected her with me to help me on my journey of where God was going to be taking me. You know, um, I like to follow um, Coach Prime. For my birthday recently, Heather got me Coach Prime's sunglasses. They're like these shiny gold glasses, some other People have criticized him for wearing glasses. If he was, you know, well-mannered, he wouldn't wear glasses so much, you know. That's what the coach at CSU was saying, kind of just mocking Coach Prime. And, you know, Coach, you know I, I, uh, coach Prime, Deion Sanders at CU Boulder, you know, if he had been there when I was 18, I might have just gone there just to be around Coach Prime, this, this you know, great believer, just um, someone who just defies Goliath there in Boulder. And, um, but I, I um, you know, Coach Prime, they had a great start to their season. They won their very first three games. The very first game they won was against, like, the number two team from the previous year, and they beat them, TCU. But then after, after three games, people figured them out. They figured out, hey, they don't have an office, offensive line. We can just, just, you know, just blitz all the time and, and get past their, their kind of weak. They figured out their weak point. And um, but so, so people thought at the end of the season that, that Coach Prime is going to move on. But I, I saw just recently with, you know, the negative 30-degree weather, he was outside taking pictures of himself staying outside in the snow. Hey, it might be negative 30 to the windshield, but I'm, you know, he started out a year ago saying, we coming, we coming, we coming. Now he's saying, we staying. <laughs> he said, I'm from Florida. I'm from Fort Myers. I'm not used to this. It's negative 30, but I'm outside. Yay! I'm staying. So, so, so send, me, send me your Davids. Send me. Woo! We ain't hard to find. 
He's saying, you can, you can count on me because I'm staying. I'm going to invest in people. You can count on me. I want to grow people. I want to, I want to, I want, there, there's potential here. Yeah. And, and he, he's making a point of saying that. Because if he's going, you ain't doing nothing. Faith to begin, and that, that's exciting. We coming, we coming, we, that's exciting. You know, my glasses say, we coming on the side. But he's saying, hey, we, uh, we stand. Yay! It's negative 30, but we stand. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to have faith to begin, but it's a little harder, actually much harder to have faith to continue. Isaac had faith to continue. That's why he sowed. Keep sowing. Keep, when, when people stop sowing, when people stop caring, when people stop investing, when people stop, I know they're going. <laughs> Maybe some of you are dating someone and they, they, they've, they've stopped. They've stopped caring. They've stopped. Bye-bye. You, you go in. <laughs> Verse 12. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in that same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Verse 13. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he be, became very prosperous. If you're like me and you like to, to circle things, circle the word began, circle the word continued, and circle the word became. But like triple circle the word continued. Yeah. Triple circle that word continued until he became very prosperous. For he had, I, I love this, verse 14 is huge too. He had possessions. Say possessions. Possessions of flocks, possessions. Possessions again of herds and a great number of servants. I'm going to stop right there and just talk about this. Possessions. 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 He had multiple streams of possessions. And these types of possessions, they were things that could multiply. What types of possessions should you have? Things that can multiply. This is a, 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 an accounting term. Assets. Not liabilities. He had possessions of things that could multiply. The world wants to, you know, hey, get all these possessions of things that aren't going to amount to anything. But he had possessions of things that could multiply, things that could grow and increase. And it reached a point, verse 14, that the Philistines envied him. You know you've really done it when the world envies you. When the world is mad at you for what you possess. God wants the church to have possessions of things that can multiply. Assets. Things that can multiply. Things that are important. Things that God wants to grow. Buildings. Properties. Investments. Influence. Influence. 
You know, he talked about great servants. That, that's talking about hu- human resources, children. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A lot of people want to begin and become. Begin, continue, become. A lot of people just want to begin and become. It's because we live in a microwave society. People just want to insta-bake everything. You can't insta-bake faith. I was talking to a minister recently. He wants to double things. I I have faith to double. I said, well, that's great. Maybe it'll double in a year, but what if it takes five years? Do you have faith for five years? I'm kind of, you know, are you just an insta-bake person, or are you a... Are you just to begin and become, or are you going to begin, continue and become? Some things might happen quickly. Some things might take time. And and, and what I've observed in my eight years of great continuing, the best things in life always take time. The best food. You know, when I was single, everything was insta. I, could, I, I survived off of, if I couldn't make it in two minutes or less, I wasn't going to do it. I tell my dad, cook steak, turn it up to 900 and slap that and turn it and it's like burn on the outside and, and, and still mooing on the inside. The best food takes time. The, the greatest athletes, it took time for them to get where they are. The greatest musicians, it took time, it took practice, it took Thousands upon thousands of hours of practice. The best relationships take time to develop. I don't do tons of, you know, marital counseling, but every now and then I do. And, and sometimes I talk to someone who's, you know, they, they, they dated three months, got married. And wait, this is hard. <laughs> well, it's going to take you at least a year to get to know each other. You just married a stranger. I hope you heard from God. And you did or you didn't. It's going to be hard either way. The best relationships take time. Hebrews 6.12 says, do not become sluggish. And that's a good word. You don't hear people come up on the pulpit and say, my little three-year-old Ada loves this book called, it's about a, a sloth. And this, the sloth is a little sluggish. And there's an elephant that's really strong and working out, and a cheetah that's really fast, and a kangaroo that jumps up and down, and a monkey that's swinging, and they, they get mad at the sloth for being lazy and sleeping so much. And he kind of convinces them to do something else that the other one does, and they all realize they're bad at it, and they, they don't know what's going on. You know, the, the elephant's breaking the, the trampoline, and the monkey can't lift the weights, and they're all falling apart, and, and they, they yell, hey, sloth! And Ada loves that. Whenever I say, hey, sloth, she just starts cracking up. And the writers of Hebrews 6 right here is saying, hey, sloth. You people just want to begin and become. That's not what faith is. Imitate those who through faith and patience, say patience. Patience. That word, it means to continue. In the Greek, it means consistency. A continuance. And here at the promises. 
Every single hero of faith mentioned in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, by faith. It should really say by faith and patience. By faith and patience. By faith and patience. Sarai had a lot of faith and patience. To be married to Abram, it took a tremendous amount of patience. Rebecca, it took her some patience. Isaac, it took him some patience. Noah, lots of, 100 years. 100 years of patience. Through faith and patience. Don't become sluggish. Hey, sloth. When people want to just quit, and you haven't even stayed. <laughs> That's a good word for the church at large. My last point is this. The Spirit of God generates momentum. Let's go to uh, 1 Samuel now. 1 Samuel 15. The Spirit of God generates momentum. 1 Samuel 15. We'll start in verse 35. I like to start with this last verse of, of chapter 15 before we get into 16 because we just see um, Samuel thought things had just grinded to a halt. He was mourning. He was discouraged. He was full of regret. And some of you might have those feelings. You're, you're mourning. You're discouraged. You're full of regret. You just feel like nothing's happening. There's zero momentum. You're living in a vacuum. So verse 35 says, Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So even the Lord had regret. But the Lord wasn't done. God's never done. He's never without a plan. The Spirit of the Lord is always generating momentum. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? How long are you going to be stuck in a rut? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill your horn with oil. Fill your horn with oil. Man, that is a, a charismatic word right there. Yes, sir. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and you can be filled again. Amen. Fill your horn with oil. And go. And that's a great word too. Go. Hey, sloth. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Well, that's good. Let's keep going here. And Samuel said, How can I go? Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you. What you shall do, you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. You're going to anoint, something's going to happen. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the anointing generates momentum. 
So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming. They didn't know what was going on, but they could sense in the atmosphere momentum. Man, we need to, to be able to sense momentum. True elders, true leaders, true people who've been around for a while should be able to sense momentum. They should be able to sense that God is up to something before they can even see it. These elders trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? They, they didn't know what was going to happen, but they could sense that momentum in the realm of the spirit. And he said, peaceably, I have come to the sacrifice of the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He didn't even know what God was going to do. He just knew he was supposed to have that anointing oil, the power of God, the presence of God, the purpose of God, the momentum of God. Things were going to start shifting. He didn't even know what was going to happen, but thing, things are going to, something's going to happen. There is momentum. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. We'll mention Eliab here in a little bit, but Eliab was the oldest and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But God, God spoke to Samuel and God had to speak very clearly to Samuel. I find this really interesting because Samuel thought this is the one. Samuel was one of the greatest prophets to ever walk on the face of the earth. When he was a boy, he heard the audible voice of God. He heard it so clearly. He thought it was the priest in the other room talking. He could hear God that clearly. But God's saying, hey, you better keep listening or you're going to miss it. You're never too holy, never too prophetic new to, to, to miss it. Some of the people who I think, they, they think of themselves as being the most prophetic spiritual people to walk. And they can miss it sometimes. There can be momentum going on and they can just completely miss it. So God spoke this to, this to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks... For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man thinks momentum, excitement, increase, influence, purpose, destiny, it comes from what's on the outside. That is called the flesh. Some of the, some of the, the people who try to walk around as the most prophetic, some of them can be the most fleshy people I know. But God knows that true momentum, true increase, multiplication, supernatural favor and blessing comes from what's on the inside, the spirit. So the seven oldest sons pass by. And God, just every time Samuel thinks, that's, that's him, that's him, that's him. And God says, nope, 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 nope. Man, we, we should thank God for some of those no's in our life. Yes, sir. It might look good on the outside, but no. No. You might think that's the one, no. God's looking at things differently. Do you have another one? He said, well, there, there's an eighth one. I left him out because he's a redhead. <laughs> they went and got him, verse 12. The Satan brought him in. He was ruddy, with bright eyes, good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil 
and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day, from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord, that means momentum was happening in David's life. From that moment, the Spirit of God generates momentum. Now, if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you haven't received that anointing oil, you need to receive it because momentum will start generating in your life. God will start doing things. That anointing oil was poured upon David and something happened. The Spirit of God began shifting things. The Spirit of God began aligning things. The Spirit of God began opening doors. The Spirit of God began turning difficulties into opportunities. The Spirit of God was generating momentum. And David could feel it. He could feel that momentum before anyone else could sense it. Let's skip ahead to 1 Samuel 17, verse 10. The Philistines were fighting Israel. The Philistines are still fighting Israel to this day. They they still haven't learned. The Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. That just sets something off in David. This giant saw an army of weaklings, of cowards. But you got to be careful who you defy because you don't know what army may be behind them that you cannot see. David knew there was an army that that giant could not see. And even though he was the only one, something went off on the inside of him. And he began seeing great doors of opportunity. That momentum caused him to see opportunity. Verse 22, he was sent out there to to bring cheese to his brothers. He said he left supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was that champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And there, there was this spirit of the Lord generating momentum. And he knew, he knew it. He, he could feel that wave happening. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich with great riches. will give him his daughter and give his father's house, exemption from taxes in Israel. The spirit of the Lord generates momentum. It opens up doors of opportunity. You'll be able to see difficulty and see the great opportunity there. David spoke to the man. He was getting excited. Man, he would have just killed that guy just for the fun of it. What shall be done for the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He wasn't just thinking about his brothers that treated him like trash. He was thinking about the God of angel armies, the ruler of the heavens and the earth. The people answered him in this manner, so shall be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, 
Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the, few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart. I have discernment about you, David. You're full of pride and insolence. Man, when God is generating momentum, the spirit of the enemy is going to try to stir in the opposite direction. That's, that's what he was doing in Eliab's heart. David just ignored him. Just ignore the haters. You won't hear from them again. That's the last time we hear about Eliab. Some of you just need to forget about Eliab. I'm sorry, you hurt your feelings. Just move on. I'd rather be, be, be in the, the stirring with the momentum of the Spirit than worry about the stirring in the opposite direction. He turned toward another and said the same thing. These people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for, for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. I love this. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock. He's beginning to see that momentum. There, there has been momentum in my life. You, that, that lion, I, I didn't really realize it then. The bear, I didn't realize it then, but now I see it. Now I see there was momentum. The Spirit of God has been generating momentum. And I love this. I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, this is so cool, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Next time you go to the zoo, look at the lion. Look at the bear. And think, if you're going to kill that thing, I've, no, I, I've read this passage of scripture a thousand times. If I were to kill a lion or a bear, I would do so at a distance. <laughs> David grabbed it by the beard. Grabbed it by the beard. I, I think David, when he picked up those five stones, I actually, I think when he struck him and hit him in the head the first shot, he might have been disappointed. I think he was so riled up that he wanted to go grab that ugly, mangy, uncircumcised Philistine by the beard and just rip his head off. That's why he didn't want a sword. Or like he just, he wanted to grab him by the beard. And he eventually ripped his head off with his own sword. Your servant killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine. He saw momentum. He saw that was momentum. That this thing is multiplying. It's growing. It's increasing. And momentum will cause you to see things that be not as though they were. God did it here. He did it here, and he's going to do it here. Because my God is a God of momentum. He's a God of multiplication, abundant increase. 
I know what God is doing. No one else can see it. You can't see it. But there is no stopping it. So in conclusion, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to continue to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to keep trusting all of God's promises. And I know that he is working mightily on my behalf. The cards, say this, the cards are stacked. Say it with me. The cards are stacked in my favor. There is a momentum of blessing coming my way. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.